Hi, I'm Dr. Kimberly O'Brien, child psychologist and founder of the Quirky Kid Clinic. We started this podcast to give you practical tips, like the ones we give parents in the clinic on a daily basis when they're facing common issues like separation anxiety, boosting their child's independence or navigating an autism diagnosis. So today we're going to be talking about how to bring the best out of high achievers. Hi, my name is Katara. I'm five years old. I started kindergarten this year. I can speak Japanese. Hi, my name is Stephanie. I'm Katara's mum. Katara is my eldest daughter. She's five years old and we have another daughter who is three years old as well. Steph, when did you start noticing something different about Katara and about what age was she when you noticed? I think we started noticing some things about Katara actually very young. Um, When she was, oh, even a couple of months old, one of the things that my husband started noticing was she was very quick to pick up on conversations and she would look at the people in the room who were talking and knew exactly where the conversation was going to head to. So as that person was finishing their sentence, she would look to the person that that was being addressed to and she could follow those social cues really quickly. I guess when she was older, when she was in daycare, we started noticing some interesting social relationships. So she would, I would say she would be about, let's say, two to three and that's sort of when they're transitioning from the toddler room to the preschool room and she was constantly talking about the names of older children and these were children that were about to go to school and that sounded fun that was great and it was nice to see that uh, she was engaging with kids even if they were a little bit older than her Uh, but we noticed when those children started to leave because they were going to school that she became really lonely and then she had this negative association with going to daycare so We started talking to the daycare folks and we realized that it was because those students were leaving and what an interesting thing happened they were saying to us that instead of playing with the kids in her class group she would follow the educators around and want to hang out with them and help them out with doing things and that was sort of a big turning point for us around figuring out like hmm something's different And Steph, what did you decide to do when you realised that Katara needed more stimulation? Uh, That's when we decided to come to you (laughs) and talk to you about, you know, are these things normal for kids? What is normal? Is that, are there things that we should be considering or thinking about? We had friends and relatives and some random strangers in parks talking to us about, oh, how interesting Katara was in terms of how she was able to hold a conversation so well when she was quite young and following things really quickly. And occasionally we'd hear the term, oh, she, she's gifted. You know, she's gifted. You should do something about that. And I remember having a chat with you and sort of thinking, oh, is it that parental bias that, okay, my child is really good at these things or is it actually there's something more and maybe we should follow up on that. So there was this kind of tension between 
should I do something about it? Or is it just my view that my child is is great at things? Yeah, I do remember that when you came in and I, my focus was around making um, daycare more interesting for Katara and really just thinking, what can we do? What, how can we help the teachers to make sure that she's being challenged? And we talked about, you know, bringing in extra resources and having a little box that she can help herself to when she's feeling like she wants to do her own puzzles or, you know, maybe do something different in that time when she didn't want to sleep and she just wanted to keep learning or reading. And then there was that discussion about an IQ test, which can be a little bit controversial. And even the term gifted can be controversial around like, you know, aren't all children gifted and talented? Yes. Um, <laughs> and and I, I have seen, you know, even teachers sometimes questioning that term, like, you know, why does she need something different? So it was a good conversation around, let's just focus on making sure she likes, you know, school and yes, exactly. as much, everything that she needs really to, to reach her potential. Yeah. So Steph, tell me a little bit how you felt about the idea of an IQ test when she was quite young. She was about three. Is that right? When we did the IQ yeah. test, we were trying to make sure she had the attention span to get through yes. it. We had like an abbreviated version. It's called the Stanford Binet fifth edition, which has the 30 minute option, or if they're particularly bright and focused, it can go for an hour and a half and you can get more data to compare them to other same age kids. So we were talking about options, but Tell me what you thought about the idea of doing an IQ test and even the possibility of having a gifted label. I was I was a bit anxious about doing it, to be honest. The idea that, okay, uh, if we do go through with it, what does that what does that mean? Right? The thing that I was struggling with with the idea of actually is she gifted or is it my parental bias that my child is great? Uh, so, in doing that assessment, it would either confirm or or, or deny that. Uh, but I think the the tipping point for us in deciding to go ahead with it was largely around school and school readiness. And so we could see that she was getting quite bored at daycare and she was not having that positive association with education and learning and something that was positive and so we felt that okay what she needed was to to go to school but in order to make a good argument for her starting early we needed something we needed some evidence to put forward to schools to say actually she she is ready for that and so going through with an IQ test would allow us to put that you know on the table Whereas if we would just go to the schools and say, look, you know, we're noticing she is a little bit bored at daycare and we think it's great, but, you know, who are we to say that she's ready for it, for, for school? Uh, but if we had that assessment that says, actually, no, she is gifted, she would benefit from some uh, additional stimulation and it would be great for her, then that would give us uh, the evidence to try and actually follow through with it. Yes. We use that term gifted rarely it's just it's something that they use on the IQ test some have that gifted range so we sort of say that high achievers and they like to be stimulated and they need to be in a you know interactive classroom with options to extend their learning capacity and that they thrive with incremental challenges these are the things that we often put in these reports because it's like you weren't the first parent to come to quirky kid with a child that was you know just loved learning you know sometimes they're in the bath with those little magnetic alphabets and, yes. and 
in the right order from the age of even one, amazingly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, and exciting. And so, yeah, I, I just think the benefit of seeing other kids like Katara was that we could sort of say, oh, this school accepts early enrollments, this one too, let's put you in touch with them and you can do, you know, do your own research once you have the results to see what they can offer. And yeah. so what happened with you, Steph? What happened after you started looking around for schools and the right teacher to match Katara's needs? Yeah, so we decided to ask around. So we didn't just ask one school, we asked a couple in the area. And we talked to public schools, we talked to private schools. We didn't. We wanted to essentially broaden our net to see would schools be uh, open to her starting early and we got knocked back quite a lot, uh, largely because of the catchment area. That was a very big thing. But we managed to find one school that was particularly interested in Katara because the assistant principal at the time, he had just finished a master's in gifted education. And so he was really excited by the idea of being able to support labelly gifted child in the school that he was in so that he was a, a real proponent for her starting and that school had a, he had implemented a, pro, a number of processes to assess the child before they came so he helped to arrange for himself and the school counsellor to visit Katara in daycare and observe her uh, have a couple of activities with her he had a number of forms to fill out by her educators and also by us so he could get some more data around uh, how she likes to learn and what stimulates her. And so that was really a very positive experience for us. And that gave us a lot of confidence in this school. And that eventually became the school that Katara is now attending. The thing that I like to do at school are meeting new teachers, painting. I like reading my favourite books are The Princess in Black. And uh, but the first one is the princess in black, and then the princess in black, and the princess in black, and the and the level in our classroom goes up to twenty two, and I want to level twenty one. And I remember we also mentioned in the um, recommendations, you know, programs like at the University of New South Wales. There's one called Jeric, which is around gifted education research, and they offer seminars for parents that are in similar situations to. To find out what other resources are available and even some you know school holiday workshops for other kids that are in that range that they can so they can all get together and um, work on some other areas of of their interest but you know working with other kids that are gifted so that they can connect and socialize and have those stimulating conversations with same age peers so did you end up following up any of those social opportunities for Katara or did it all sort of unfold once she went to school it sort of unfolded when she ended up going to school, but uh, COVID didn't really help the situation. Um, so we actually tried to look at ways to ensure that she was comfortable with school in the sense that she had this positive relationship with school and learning. So that was the key, uh, the, the key focus for us as she started school. And then I think the second thing was well, outside of school, are there things that we can do to support her socially and emotionally so that she builds resilience? Because we started seeing a lot of 
particularly when she started school, I think we saw it before, but it became more apparent uh, in school, this notion of perfectionism, right? So she, she could see that some things came really easy and she was very good at them. And so she would uh, more often than not exceed expectations, at least, you know, for us. And, and so she started getting used to this idea that, okay, I'm really good at things. So everything that I have to do has to be more than a hundred percent. It has to blow people out of the water. And, you know, not everybody is good at everything. That's, that's just, that's not possible. And so one of the things that we've been trying to really work on outside of school is the idea that, hey, just because you're, you're amazingly good in this area, that doesn't mean you should expect yourself to be that way in other areas. That's not reasonable and that's not healthy. So how can we try and build uh, or essentially extend her in the areas where we see this giftedness but also build up that social and emotional resilience in others so that she has a healthy um, healthy level of self-esteem. Yeah, so true, Steph, and, and so common that there will be those um, strengths and weaknesses, of course, with every child um, and every adult as well. And so sometimes it can be confusing when, you know, highly intelligent kids are hanging out with older peers, but they're still reacting emotionally in the way that, you know, they would developmentally. And that can be tricky for schools as well to know whether they should um, accept the enrolment if there are some, you know, upsets or, you know, just feeling like that they need to express these emotions when they're only four years old, of course. But then if all their peers are not crying and they're moving on pretty quickly, it's like, how do we bring them up to speed emotionally, but also give them that space to be themselves? What have you found that's been helpful for Katara? Well, to be honest, I think having a sibling really helped her in that regard, We've been using those those times where she's with her little sister to help model some of the behaviours that can help her navigate the social landscape at school. So she is interacting with kids that are older than her. She enjoys that. But as you said, when something upsets her, she won't behave like a, a six-year-old or a five-year-old. She would behave like a four-year-old and naturally um, you know, that's what you would expect. And so some of the things that we were working on was around expressing emotions and firstly starting out by being comfortable with the idea of labeling how she's feeling. You know, I'm feeling upset and I'm feeling upset because of X reason. And getting her into that started to help her understand the emotions that she was feeling and then taking that next step to, okay, well, what can we do about that, Right. Feeling that emotion, that's fine and that's normal and that's good. And it's good that you recognize it because once we recognize it, we can do something about it. And so then we could start having more conversations around. So what drove that emotion? How would we deal with it? What can we, what, some, what are some solutions that we, we can think of to try and improve the situation? I know that you can't play with that now. Sabina's playing with it. I know that you were playing with it and your younger sister took it off you, what can we do about it? Is that something that you need right now? Are there some other pens that you can use while she's using that? Maybe you could, uh, while you're waiting, uh, you could be patient and you could colour in this part of your picture. And when she's done, 
politely ask, hey, Sabine, could I have that back? The patience of a saint, I hear it in your voice. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes. I was going to ask you just around, um, you know, the future when you think about Katara as a maybe 16, 17-year-old when she's in high school and her peers are turning 18. Do you think about that? Do you think about her being a couple of years younger and how that might impact her as she matures? Yeah, that yeah, that is a thought that we've been having, although we've been trying to not think too far ahead. But in the con- in the times that we are thinking about that, I guess again it it comes back to that that social emotional resilience, right? So her understanding that some things come really easily to her and because of that she's able to do she's able to tackle academic things that are beyond her age group. But because that's the case, or rather, yes, she can do that, but her age means that she can't do things like go out to go out for a drink with her friends. And you know what? That's that will come in time. That's not to say that you're going to miss out on those things. You're just, you know, a couple of years younger. And I think it's this idea of being patient. It applies to her right now as well, right? So the idea that things take time. Some things come to you easily and therefore you can do those things quickly. But others need time, it needs patience and it needs perseverance. So right now your age means that you're not ready for that. But if you wait a couple of years, you can go off and do that. And the people that you surround yourself with they're going to, if they're good friends, they're going to understand that and accept that. You know, if they're making fun of you because you can't do that and they can, well, that's a question, right? Are they really the, the friends that you should be hanging out with? Are they the ones that are going to be supportive? It doesn't sound like that. So maybe it's time to reevaluate who are the people that are important to you because you're going to find yourself in situations where you're you're different and that's that's going to be a common thing for you so how do we build up that resilience to to navigate that that landscape that context love it and I think just the um you know if if you didn't take the opportunity of extending Katara academically like can you imagine what the other option would be, which is kind of like keeping her in the bathroom yeah. where she's feeling frustrated. And I think that even though she'd be same aged, it wouldn't bring out the best in her socially and emotionally anyway. So yeah, I definitely support the choice of um, having kids go to school early if it means that they're stimulated and enjoying themselves and able to access older kids for a good conversation. So yeah. And we're seeing the benefits of that now. She's really enjoying school. I'm glad to hear it, Steph. Thanks so much for joining us today. That was so helpful. And um, yeah, I really appreciate your time and for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no worries. Thanks again to Steph for helping us out today. And of course, Katara, if you'd like to find some more information about IQ testing and the SB5 that I mentioned in that show, the Stanford BNA 5th edition, you can go to the Quirky Kid website to find out more. That's for children under the age of five years. Or if you have a child aged six to 16 years, they would need an IQ test using the WISC. It's the Wexler Intelligence Scale for Children. 
That brings us to the last episode of this series. And this podcast has been an absolute pleasure bringing you the info that we have uh, with practical tips for parents facing everyday issues. I'm Dr. Kimberly O'Brien. Until next time, stay well.